talking about video games. Yeah! Hello, everyone, and welcome back, perhaps, or welcome to the Donkey Kong Artist Podcast. I am but one of your three hosts, Patrick Shanley. Joining me, as always, is my other two hosts, who are slightly less important, but they're here, too. Uh, Evan Arnold and Colin Codega. Let's start with Eddie. How are you doing today? Hey guys, I'm doing well. I'm important. My mom says I'm important, so that means I'm important. Your mom Black said that? Panther made me feel very important, so I am important today. But thank you, Pat. How are you doing today? I'm good. If Gay said that you're important, then I agree with her. I would never go against her. Gay loves me, alright? So she always says I'm important. My mom. Sorry, I'm not white. We, we call our parents by the um, my mom and dad in our household still, so... Yeah, white people I I never knew that before, but white people are like, Hey Sharon I'll make me a sandwich. Who, who, are you, who are you hanging out with that one is calling their mother by their first name and two being a grown adult and demanding a sandwich? Anyway, Colin, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm doing good. Uh, you know, it's worth mentioning. I don't know if you guys can hear me over my giant um, muscles, but I went to a boot camp this morning and I threw up after. So if you can't hear me, it's because I have big muscles now and uh, after going to one boot camp. So just throwing that out there. You're not better than us. Mm, yeah, I am. Yeah, I think he is a little bit, actually. You stop eating meat, too? Are you going to talk about it at every staff meeting? Oh, stop um, eating meat today. Yeah, I'm thinking I was going to pitch. I mean, I was going to do this after the podcast, but I was going to pitch Colin's five minutes of vegan talk. I was just going to talk about my newest meals, um, kind of, you know, just some little uh, meal prep I'm working on. Our first spin-off podcast will be all about vegan cuisine. <laughs> vegan cuisine says the guy who uh, pretty much eats meat with every meal. But hey, you know what? This boot camp's got me. Uh, it's been a life-changing couple hours. I'll in, say that. In a way, vegan lifestyle could be seen as an indie lifestyle, which leads us right into our first topic: the landscape of indie gaming. Uh, and we've had quite a few indie game publishers on our podcast, including last week when we talked to the creators of Owlboy. Um, indie gaming is something that has kind of—I mean, at this point, there are enough indie games to say that it actually challenges like triple a titles just from the sheer volume of indie games that are coming in but also a lot of these are resonating with people and getting a lot of mainstream action so are they even really indie games at this point regardless the indie landscape is crowded there's a lot of indie games and that raises a question of how do you differentiate yourself when so many of these games are coming out and that's a million dollar question right and i think this topic kind of spawned from us looking at fee fey fey iron fey F.E., Fern, Fey, I don't know. I think I've heard um, it's Fey. It's Fey. Fey. Fe. Released for Nintendo Switch, released for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, all major systems, and it was released on Microsoft Windows, so that means it was Steam, too. Came out this week. It's getting okay reviews, but I'm looking at this game, and I decided to go against it because it looks like another journey. And we kind of brought up this topic. What do you need to do in order to make your indie game look different? And I played a game this weekend called Orwell, where you play as a big brother type agent and you're basically supervising the citizens of the United States, the nation. Um, and you're making sure you're monitoring their social media, you're monitoring their cell phone calls, you're monitoring their web history. You're basically, you're, you're an agent in the Patriot Act. 
And I really enjoyed that game. It had a, its own style. You were working, everything was through the computer, mouse and click. You had to pick out different types of information, drag it over to your handler. He picks up the information, and based on the information you provide, he decides on whether to act. He decides on what type of action he should take. So you're basically, it's a big time choices matter, kind of like a telltale game. That is like an indie game that I've never played before. It, is, it was very immersive. I saw myself in it. I, when I stepped away from it yesterday, I kept thinking about it. I made a decision midway during the game. I don't want to spoil anything, but something happens. It could go either way, and it really affected me. And even the ending of the ending choice of this game, it really affected me. Do I want to basically keep my job in this government agency? Do I want to keep this program going, which by the end of this game actually made me <laughs> kind of support the Patriot Act? Because crime was going down, but it, it, you know, there's a lot of black and white. So in that regard, that is what I want to see from an indie game. It taking its own kind of genre, being original with it, having its own little art style. This game didn't have a major art style, but its style fit to what you were doing. And I think we're getting so many indie games right now. We need more projects like this where we're not. And I haven't played Faye, and I'm not knocking Faye. But we need to get away from a lot of these games like Fade that look like they're just games with where you're just following a person get from one point to another point. And I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, I it's it's getting really difficult to for these studios to differentiate themselves. This conversation was sparked by us reading in a review, like the first line is it said about Faye was uh, that it's journey esque, and I think it's a really tough job for these studios that usually you have people that are wearing multiple hats in the development cycle uh someone who may be the a programmer or a developer or the studio head and like lead they still have to work other jobs like marketing promotions they have to get the word out about the game so i think it's really difficult to one since it is such a crowded landscape to really show that you're doing something different but I also see why some of these studios may want to kind of box themselves in saying, hey, we're just like Journey, because if I'm a more casual gamer, I don't pay attention to every single indie game coming out. If I read that in a review, I'll be like, oh, Journey, I know what that is. So I can kind of have a loose idea of this game. But at the same time, it's kind of a double-edged sword, because then for someone like me or other people, you read it, you're like, oh, yeah, it's like Journey. I played like eight games like that this year on to the next one, when you could be missing something really special. So it's it's really complicated. It's a double-edged sword. Let me just read off a couple games that have been Journey-esque in the last couple of years. There's Abzu, uh, which is very much like that. There's Flower, which is a little bit like that, but a little bit different, where you just play a flower. Uh, flower Lim before Journey, sorry. Sure, whatever. I mean, I'm just saying, sorry, Journey-esque, I guess, is just sort of like, it's like a Souls-like game. You know, it's like or just like Me Metroidvania. That's a new one I'm hearing all the time, uh, where it's very much like the classic uh, Castlevania Metroid uh, style 2D platform. Right, which is another one that's just everywhere right now, including actually Owlboy from last week that we talked about. It seems that there's like there's two different styles, right? All of these are either platformers as an indie game, or you're going to be one of these Journey-esque games, and it's very rare to find something that is not one of those two as an indie game, or some variation of those things. It's sort of like in music, if one style becomes popular, then everyone starts incorporating that style into their songs to try and like cash in on this new trendy thing, and it seems to be happening a lot in indie games. I'm not saying it's not also happening in AAA games. I'm just saying... There's so much creativity happening, but it seems to be happening in a box, whereas it's very rare to find somebody who's breaking outside of that box. 
Yeah, I mean, it's just like uh, Telltale. Like, when they uh, were able to kind of revitalize the whole, um, I don't even know, Eddie, Eddie, what's the what's the style of Telltale? Like, what would you say? Choices, like heavy, adventure your own adventure style. kind yeah. of. Yeah, and, and that with The Walking Dead really re-sparked um, a lot of interest in that because before Telltale came out with The Walking Dead, they had um, Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, which actually just got destroyed review-wise. And um, But with that, you're seeing a lot more also another one of those boxes where it's the Telltale style. Um, maybe you'll have a little bit of why, and then you have like the Firewatch. There's, I would say you could almost bucket these indie games for the most part and maybe five to ten different separate buckets of game type and yeah it's getting a lot harder for you know gamers to really figure it out and the sad thing is only so many of these games are going to get reviewed by major outlets so you're kind of limited just to based on reviews and whatnot unless you really want to do a lot of research and at the end of the day you know i'm working a long day the last thing i want to do is spend an hour two hours trying to sort through what the new game's coming out so that's why i'm st it's easier to stick to these triple a titles because it's, it's easier to know what you're going to get in the finished product. I know about that, though, because you guys are coming from the vein, and i got to disagree with both of you here. You guys are coming from the vein that's like all these indie games are like so similar that you really can't tell. The, and I, I could be wrong. I could be taking your arguments wrong. But it sounds like you guys are saying these indie games are so similar that there's really no point of like playing all of them. But a lot of these indie games, a lot of these platformers, they're doing something very differently. Like Owlboy, the way that you pick up your power-ups in regard to it, any other platformers was so different as opposed to, like, a Super Meat Boy-type platformer. Like, a Celeste platformer is so different than you playing, like, a Nidhogg-type platformer. And Nidhogg, I, 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 that's probably a bad example because that's more of an arena-style game. But I, I think that you guys are looking at these indie games from a broad scope, and I think if you look at them more individually, you'll find out that a lot of these games have a minor gameplay mechanic in it that kind of sets to the side from a lot of these games, and it's doing something kind of revolutionary that a lot of these AAA um, titles end up taking from them in the long run. Well, let me latch on to just one word you said in there, and you said it's minor gameplay things in there, and that's my problem here, is that they are minor. It's just a little tweak on each one, and if me, as a consumer, why would I bother, even with these games that are only $10, $15, less than $10, why would I bother? If I've already played one, what is the difference of me playing another one if there's just a minor tweak to the gameplay? Frankly, I mean, like, I can live the rest of my life not having played Owlboy, and it wouldn't matter at all. I could live Wait, the rest no. of my life... Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, what about Super Meat Boy was so much different than something that wasn't already done by Nintendo and Mario 30 years before? It's not that much different. Nothing they did reinvented the wheel. Nothing about it was that revolutionary. It was just a minor tweak on a system that was already made 30 years ago. Well, I think they just streamed that a little bit more. You know, if you died in Mario a couple times, you had to go all the way back to the front. Super Meat Boy did a remarkable thing that where you died, you just went back to the front stage. And Super Meat Boy to me was more about, like, motor memory. It's just like, how do I hit this jump at the right time to hit A, to go up, you know, double jump to the, hit up to another platform that I couldn't reach previously. Like, that was something that Mario could never do. So I think that these indie games, and a lot of times they don't have a lot of the money to, see, to make the major gameplay choices that you want to see or the gameplay mechanics that you want to see, so they have to do these minor things. And I think it's unfair for us to say, like, oh, I, I'm not going to play this $10 indie game because it looks so much similar to something I've seen before because you would miss out on a lot of great titles if you did that. 
Um, like Terraria, for example, one of the biggest games that came out in 2011, in my opinion, that game took a lot from Minecraft. And if you were looking at that from that vein, a lot of people would miss out on Terraria, where Terraria was doing something remarkable with its boss battles, something remarkable with its the way it was creating wor- different worlds when you populated it. So I, I, I mean, think I, you have to be very careful when you're painting indie games with a broad brush like that. No, and I, I agree. It's, it's very, very broad brush, but I think also one thing to call out is you are you are a PC gamer, Eddie, and so you nerd. get these indie. Yeah, yeah, you're you you play PCs like a nerd, and um, all the simple console folk uh, don't understand. No, but you can get these indie games also on Steam about some anywhere from six months to two years before they make it to consoles. So usually these larger studios or other indie developers that are quicker to get on consoles, they can take those ideas, because the game's been out so long, and put it on a game that's going to come to console, and they'll beat them to the punch for people like Pat and I that don't PC game. So I think that's another layer to it as well, that that kind of laughs. Now, not saying every indie game doesn't go straight to console, um, and like, like you said, Terraria, fantastic game, loved it. But, um, yeah, I think there is that slight delay. I think you're you're able to be ahead of the curve if you are a PC gamer. And I just don't want to sink the money into a gaming PC, so that kind of leads to a delay there. Yeah, well, let's also, I mean, if we're going to talk about broad brushes, Picassos, then let's also say that <laughs> indie games are not, there's not just one type of indie developer. There's indie games of people who are making their first games, but then there's also, and this is happening a lot more often, we'll see people who worked on AAA titles who are now branching off and making their own indie studios. Those people do not get the benefit of like, well, you know, they're just doing this for the first time, blah, blah, blah. They're not. These are people who have been doing this for a very long time. There are people who are at the top of their industry, and why am I not judging them the same way I would a AAA title? Because they don't have the same resources that this AAA title has. A A lot of times they're leaving these big studios and they don't have the same team that they had before a lot of times they're doing it by themselves so they have a completely different team and they're starting from the ground up in the same regards it's just like if you were like working for a big conglomerate and you wanted like a i don't know olive garden that's a bad example and you want to break out and do like your own like italian food truck you can't compare an italian food truck to the olive garden it's a bad example okay i'm sorry It's a bad example, okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just picturing someone at Olive Garden being like, you know what? All right, I'm I'm going to flesh this thing out real quick. So Olive Garden, you got your pasta makers. You got got all your sauces there, right? You got everything there right now. But if you go to your food truck, you got to start from the ground up. And a lot of times it's with your own own money and your own resources and your own time. And a lot of the the times when you're working for those big studios, you're kind of using someone else's time and someone else's resources to do your own thing. If I can break down your analogy real quick, you think that people – in Olive Garden, are making their own pasta? I think they have their own pasta makers in the back there, yeah. No. They, they absolutely they, they do not have that. Food, dude. No, they don't. They make yeah. their own pasta at Olive Garden. Shut all up. those chains, Chili's, Olive Garden, um, Outback, they all heat up the food. No, they have a guy named John who comes in on Tuesdays and he makes <laughs> didn't even give him an Italian fresh. name. <laughs> no, because Olive Garden, you have to be realistic. He wouldn't be an Italian. He'd probably be John from down the street working minimum wage. I'm sorry, I, w- I want to live in the fantasy world that Eddie's building up. Can we get an indie developer to make this game? John, the pasta maker? You guys are losing the point of my argument, though, okay? Just look at the point of my argument. Olive Garden is very, 
very underrated, and it needs to be regarded as American cuisine. Sorry, that wasn't my argument. I forgot what my argument I do was. like Olive Garden. Uh, here's the thing. So you want to break away from a AAA game studio to make your own mm-hmm. game studio. And then right. your dream was when you broke away from this, when you burned, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm sick of being a corporate shill. I'm going to make my own game. And then you turn around and you just make a platformer. Like, <laughs> what the, that's what, that was your big stand that you made, was to go out and make something where you jump from one ledge to another ledge, but, oh, but in this one, you, you're carrying another character as you do it. Well, and then you gotta, you know, you're just looking at the game, you gotta look at the story, because a lot of them don't have a freedom to write their own story that they want, so look at Owlboy, you're not seeing a story like that in AAA, and I know we're talking about Owlboy a lot, but you're not gonna see a story like that. Or, like, you're not going to see games like Spelunky in a AAA title. You're not going to see games. What was that game that we were just put hours into, Colin, on the Nintendo Switch, where you're digging? My Little uh, Pony. Steam World Dig 2. Steam World Dig 2. You're not oh, getting yeah. that from a AAA studio. I mean, these are all, these are unique ideas that you're just not going to get. And the person that's breaking away from the AAA studio, he's not going to get his, he's not going to get his ideas supported by that, by a Sony or an EA or something like that to make a game about digging holes and finding treasure. He's just not. So you've got to break off and do your own thing. It's just the American dream, right? Like, why be a shill for a big company pumping out Assassin's Creed 18 when you can go off and do, like, an original platform and that's never been done before? Or you have a mechanic where you're picking up different people. I don't see the problem with that. I don't, I don't, I I don't, don't. have a problem with it. I'm just saying that it's not that original. That's my problem with it, like I'm saying. It's not original. You're just tweaking something that's already been around forever and ever. You're not creating something new. Some of these people are. Like something like SteamWorld Dig is amazing. Something like Tacoma was amazing and something weird Cuphead. and different. Cuphead was Cuphead was a platformer, though. It did, The art style was amazing, but I mean, it was no different than any other platform I've ever played. It was yeah. hard. Okay, okay. So here's an example. So like Super Meat Boy Guy, his first big game was and I, Edmund McMillan is his name, sorry. His first big game was Super Meat Boy, right? Mm-hmm. The, after that, he came out with The Binding of Az- Isaac. The Binding of Isaac and Super Meat Boy are completely different. Now, I'm not even saying Super Meat Boy is like a platformer that we should hold to this regard because it was something completely unique and different. Mm-hmm. But look at the difference between The Binding of Isaac and Super Meat Boy. Binding of Isaac with a twin-stick shooter, it was one of the most intense games I've ever played before. It had sorry. no meat in it. It had no meat in it. No, it did have some meat. It had baby meat in it. Yeah, but it had limited um, meat is what I'm saying. Li- limited meat. Like, it had lukewarm amounts of meat. So, I mean, and that is a huge step. You know what I mean? And those are two completely different games. So my, and my argument to you would be you have to make these platformers be successful, these same Z-type platformers, be successful, make some money off of it so that you can branch out so you can make the Binding of Isaacs. So you can make your Hotline Miami 2s or whatever like that. I mean, you have to start somewhere, right? That's what that's what my argument is. But and it's hard to, like, your first project to branch out and do something completely revolutionary. You have to do something kind of safe. Yeah. And so I, you have to. Maybe I'm stuck in, like, a chicken and eggs type situation here. Because which one... Bonnie and Isaac is, like, it was a pretty big game for an indie game, but it's not Super Meat Boy. Super Meat Boy is the standout, the one that everyone remembers. The Binding of Isaac, a little bit less so, even though that's a bad example because that game was also successful. But what I'm saying is is that he might have had to do that platformer to be able to get to The Binding of Isaac, but people like Super Meat Boy more than they like The Binding of Isaac. So who am I to blame? Yeah, the consumers? I don't think so. You don't? I don't think so. No, because they're still coming out with Binding of Isaac. Um, I mean, Binding of Isaac was released on the Switch. And that game came out in 2011. 
and it was a launch title for the Switch, and it sold very well. So I, I think they were both. I, I think it's hard for you to say that Super Meat Boy is more important than The Binding of Isaac. I think they're both. They were both equally successful. Um, and we can look at the numbers, and you can call me out if you want to. But I, I Colin, you can chime in. I just think that he took it safe with the platformer, made a damn good platformer made some money off of that, which led to The Binding of Isaac. I just really don't believe that these indie gamers, especially these guys that are breaking away from these big studios, can take a big chance. Because look, like, look what happens when you take big chances like No Man's Sky. Look what happens when you take big chances like... What's another game that... Like, like look at um, Kingdom Come Deliverance. That's a big chance. That's a little studio making a big game, and they don't come out to be everything that you want them to be. So you got to play it safe, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, like, to take a, a slight step back on this is the we're talking about a lot of really great, successful indie games, but for every one success story of an indie game, there are hundreds of games we will never hear about that they get lost in the shuffle. And I think that's the thing. If you're a big name in a AAA studio... I think you you have the you you are privileged in the fact that you can create an indie studio. You can you know stamp your signature on it, and people are going to pay attention to what you pump out. Now, being a random nobody making indie indie studio, I think that's super impressive when you can kind of differentiate yourself. But at the same time, it's such a gamble, and that's why you don't. That's why a lot of people go the safe route and they go with AAA titles, even though you get a little less creativity. One, you know most likely your bills are going to be paid. You know you're going to get a paycheck. Um, you know that you're actually going to get some media attention, and then you're going to have a publisher that's going to push your game out to the public. Now, with these indie games, they are kind of fighting for a limited amount of actual consumer awareness that's out there. So I think it's super challenging. I think it's um, the indie landscape. I, I totally agree with you, Eddie, and the fact that we were being we're being pretty harsh on indie games, and it's with a broad uh, brush. But at the same time, I think it's such a gamble, and it's so hard to get out of those boxes. And um, it's someone like myself, like I said, I'll read a review, I'll see Metroidvania like, I'll see. Um, oh, what a, Super Meat Boy? The the term I'm hearing all the time now is a uh, splatformer. That's what people are calling that. So, um, but yeah. is that? I'm sorry for interrupting, but is that? The developer's fault, or is that gamekeepers or game gatekeepers, video game gatekeepers and writers just being lazy in their writing? I, th I think it's... Mm, because it's easy to compare a game to Pokemon. It's easy to compare a game to um, Metroid. It's easy to do this, and it, it seemed like we get a lot of that to the point where like, even games were... Like um, Monster Hunter, they're comparing to like Destiny, and they're comparing to Shadow, uh, or what is that game called? Demon Souls and things like that. But really, it's not. See, I, th I think there are some similar. I think it's just like anything. Like you know, you hear it's like with movie titles or music genres. It's like you know, movies. There's like a shoot 'em up genre. Like you, I could call John Wick that, and but I could also fit John Wick into other boxes. I think it's just easy for. It's, it's one, it's easier to write a review like that, too. I think it is important to kind of give some sort of context for people that don't have an understanding of the game. If you're reading a review, odds are you're not looking at video at that same time. So I think it is important to kind of give that impression because if someone like myself, I'm going to read maybe half a review. I kind of want to know 
what I can compare it to so I know what I'm getting myself into. Because also, I have my uh, preconceived notions on these genres, these buckets of games as well. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I, you know, cause I, I often hear, like, comparisons to, like, a platformer, like you said. And to me, it's just, like, writers just being lazy and not being able to be creative to the point where they can describe a new game in a new, like, new light. Where it's easier just to be like, oh, this game plays just like another um, Meat Boy. Or, oh, this game plays like another twin dual six shooter. It plays just like um, Binding of Isaac. Rather than finding out, like, something, you know, unique to write about it. And I'm not a writer, so I, I, I don't know how hard that is. But I'm So the writer, Pat, what do you think about that, yes. since you're the writer in the group? Mm, speaking as the writer of the group, I will say that it goes both ways. I think that there is a little bit of laziness in writing things and kind of grouping them all together. At the same time, I do think that there are a lot of um, similarities between these games, which is what I've been arguing. I'm also being a little bit overly harsh on uh, indie games just to have the opposite side of this argument. I don't necessarily <laughs> yeah. believe everything that I'm saying. Uh I will say that as somebody who writes about games, that you want to get across what the game is like, and a good way to do that is to compare it to games that you've already played in the past. So I do understand where they're coming from in that regard. At the same time, you want to get at what makes the game unique, and the problem is with writing about games is not, not every game you're going to write about is unique, and a lot of these games are not unique at all. And also sometimes something being unique is not make it good, as we said earlier. And I, I don't want to harp on things and say, like, oh, Kingdom Come Deliverance isn't good, but or No Man's Sky is garbage, but they tried something very different, and they didn't quite succeed in what they tried. And No Man's Sky was garbage. It's actually pretty good now. Yeah, just a quick side note. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I think we got to be – and I'm, I don't necessarily agree with everything I'm saying, because I also, I also think there's just, a, like, an over – just oversaturation of platformers right now. There are platformers everywhere right now. And, and I guess my main question is, like, why are we so angry about indie games releasing a bunch of platformers when Nintendo's doing the same exact thing with their big names are all platformers? Like, Yoshi looks like it's going to be a platformer. Um, what was that other game that is coming? It don't, they have a, no, Kirby actually looks like it's a... Um, what is Kirby All-Star Allies? Does anyone know what that game is? Uh, I think it's is a that Kirby a platform or is, or is that another one of their like um, arena type fighters? I have zero idea. Okay, it just seems to me like Nintendo is doing the same type of thing. Like they're always releasing platformers for the 3DS. They're always releasing like re-releasing platformers, and no one really gives Nintendo any shit for it. But yet, some people are like can give indie titles for being it the same. And I'm not saying you guys are doing it, but I see a lot of people say the same thing about indie titles, releases, that they're all the same. None of them are taking any chances. But it's like Nintendo's kind of doing the same thing. And I could be wrong. You guys can argue with me on that. I'd say this is because Nintendo invented this, and so if you're the people that came up with it and you're still doing it, I'm less inclined to bash you for it because you're the reason this exists. Good argument. And also, people are comfortable with platformers, and it makes money. People buy yeah. it. So I think that's another thing, too, is if uh, if people weren't buying it, then they'd be like, oh, let's go back to the drawing board. But if platformers are still successful, they're going to keep doing it, and there's different variations. Like Super Mario Odyssey, that's a 3D platformer. Right, yeah. right. And, you know, and I'm, indie games aren't just, it's not just an overabundance of platformers. There's also a bunch of twin, twin stick shooters that we're seeing from indie uh, games. And there's a bunch of, like, these journeys. We're also seeing, like, a lot of 
like Stardew Valley started to pop up everywhere. I don't know. I know when I'm on Steam, like you're getting like a Stardew Valley type clone release every month, whereas there wasn't like a farm simulator being released. Shit, since Harvest Moon '64 around that time, so. I get it. And when an indie game release, like you, that earlier point you made, Pat, an indie game is released, it does well, and then you see a whole bunch of other games released in that vein. Mm-hmm. So I wish we could see more chances being taken with indie games. But again, like, like my, back to my earlier argument, you just you have to play it safe if you want to c- continue to make games. It's just I don't understand. I just like, want. There, there's a reason why Iron Man is the first Marvel movie. And not Black Panther, right? Right. You have to you have to play it safe to get to a point where you can release a movie like Black Panther. Right. I, I guess my main point is the thing that I actually do believe is that there is a lot of creativity in indie games, and we do see a lot of innovative stuff coming from indie games, even though the majority of them are just copycat. You know, like one hits it big, so everybody else starts making the same game, but then one comes along and revolutionizes it. I'm just sick of hearing that like indie games are like, oh, that's where all the real creativity is, is in indie games. When we have a year where something like Horizon Zero Dawn comes out, and Zelda Breath of the Wild, and Super Mario Odyssey, like let's not act like AAA titles are just like these corporate companies. I mean, even if they are, they're still creating like incredible pieces of art in these games. So it's, I just don't like to think that indie games are like the only place where innovation is happening because that is absolutely not true and it works the yeah. other way too the the indie game landscape is absolutely push triple a developers i think they can coexist and i think they actually hold each other slightly accountable mm-hmm. where if you start seeing indie games that are trying new things and like i said with that delay of having pc indie games that maybe take a year or two to get over to console the AAA developers, they're going to go and take a lot of the great ideas there. So I think, and then vice versa, I think if a AAA game comes up with something cool, indie games are going to steal some of those little mechanics, you know, um, to take into their game. Because at the end of the day, developers are always trying to put in features that people like that are popular because they want people to play their game. So um, I think it's actually it's a good thing. That the rise of the indie game has been great because I think it's pushed AAA developers to kind of rethink about their tactics for the most part. You know what people must really love is loot boxes because they keep putting them into every freaking game. And yay, another conversation about loot boxes. But can we talk a little bit about what's going on with Metal Gear Survive and the craziness that is going on with their microtransactions? Yeah, um, I, I can lead into this. So I first, I just want to put a disclaimer. I have not played this game, uh, but I have been following it because it's been a really weird kind of side project. This is the first Metal Gear game that um, that is basically Konami just running with Metal Gear now. And, um, now Kojima. Yeah, Kojima's not with them anymore while he's working on Death Stranding. Um, Also, shout out, Troy Baker just signed on to be on Death Stranding, so I'm even more hyped for that game. But Metal Gear is basically what they did is they went with a $40 price point, and it's a survival game um, set within the Metal Gear universe. And instead of charging the full 60 to me it seems like they went with a $40 price point, and then they threw in a bunch of gross microtransactions. So you actually have to pay $10 to create a new save file. So that is either, disgusting. That is Sorry. awful. No, no, no. I, I, you're absolutely right to be outraged, where if you want to start a new file but don't have money to do so and you already forked up $40, you have to delete your save file and start a new one or give them $10. That is disgusting. Oh, that is the grossest thing I've ever heard in a video game. 
Yep, and also I'm looking on here, and it seems like to uh, you start off with maybe three to four loadouts where you can customize what your gear is for your character. Um, and then to unlock the loadout five through eight on the menu, it's about 300 currency points, which that's a little under, I would say it's, that's about like four, $3.50 to $4. So basically, in my opinion, it seems like Konami said, hey, let's charge $40. It's going to be that price point. It's going to bring in a lot of gamers that may have not bought it at $60. And then let's just hit them with microtransactions because they know in the long run, there's going to be those whales that are going to pump more money. And this is going to be more financially um, lucrative for Konami to go with this lower price point and make money off microtransactions. Yeah, it just reminds me of like a uh, amusement park mentality where it's like it costs this much to get in but then once you're in, everything's going to cost you money once you're there. You're not buying a full product. You're buying entry into, like, a land. Does that kind of make it okay, though? No. I'm on the fence that that kind of makes it okay. If you bump the game down to, like, $30, $20, but then you have the DLC crap on it. I'm still not going to buy it. But doesn't that kind of justify it if you're, rather than releasing a full price game and then adding the DLC to it? But it's not advertised that way. It doesn't say that on that's the box. True. Yeah, that's true. That's but my it's Konami, issue. so it, and, and I know a lot of casual gamers aren't going to know Konami for what Konami does, but Konami has been getting into the gambling realm for a long time. Um, they have been slowly moving into Nevada for a long time. I don't know if, if, if you guys have seen it, but when I go into the uh, casinos at home, there is like – I've seen a Silent Hill um, slot machine, and I know that they have been doing going along the ways of making pachinko machines as well for Japan. But I know that I've seen a lot of skill-based type gambling machines pop up, even in like Little Rio, Nevada casinos. So I, I, I get why they're going in this route. They're all about making money right now. They don't really care about entertaining the gamer right now. And I think we've kind of seen that from Konami over the last like maybe five years. Um, what does it say that a company that is making actual literal slot machines is starting to implement those practices into their video games. How long ago did they uh, introduce slot machines? I believe they started doing slot machines, um, I think it was close to like five to, five to seven years ago, man. Because um, I know that, right, I know we've started seeing more cabinets in, I know for Peppermill, for example, I've seen a lot of cabinets at the Peppermill. Um, and I've seen things from like, like Silent Hill to like I think they had a Metal Gear Solid one one time, and those are the ones that I recognize. I think I've seen that they've had Castlevania uh, slot machines in places. They have other types of slot machines that aren't that don't don't go by their popular names. So for example, they have like the Wild Asset machines, the Action Stack Seven machines. So they have a lot more cabinets that you're seeing around um, Nevada. And I even remember reading an article that when. Um, they like applauded Nevada a couple years back for some big movement they made, so that'd be easier for them to get their slot machines in the casinos. They've been doing it for a while, and it's been like a five-year process. And even with the pachinko machines, we've seen it. So Konami's not about making games to entertain you. Konami's about making money. Just know that when you go buy a Konami game, you're buying. You're you're probably going to be gambling. Well, yeah, and it's. Those pachinko parlors in uh, in Japan are huge money where it's kind of a blend of a casino and an arcade because the arcade scene is still really big in Japan. But it's a it's a complete blend of the two. And I think they you know, my assumption is Konami's like, hmm, gambling is legal in some parts of the US. 
Now, maybe the arcade scene in the U.S. isn't good, but we can kind of blend the two and maybe, uh, you know, we can pitch it to casinos as well. Like, hey, you're going to attract new clients hell from this because this is uh, targeting a different demographic. And also the people that are already in there to gamble are just going to see a new machine and want to put money into it. Yeah, so from a business standpoint, I mean, like, why not? What I'm wondering is, is, so Hideo Kojima left Konami in 2015, right? After, what, almost 30 years, 30 years with that company? He left, and he was their marquee mm-hmm. name. We don't know the exact specifics of why he left, but do you think that any of this had to do with it? It makes me wonder about if Death Stranding comes out, if it ever comes out, whenever it comes out, do you think this does not seem like a game that they would put microtransactions into? It does not seem like something that would happen. I wonder if this type of industry shift is what caused people who are actual artists, the artists that work on these things, uh, you would think that would they want to distance themselves from practice. And this like is that. just speculation, but sure Pat, let's just say you and I have had some business partnership for 30 years. Uh-huh. Um, and let's say that you've had the freedom to create whatever you wanted to create. You've been creating the craziest video games we've ever seen. None of them even make any sense, but we've just given you the freedom. you made a whole bunch of money and all that stuff. Yeah, you're and a waffle we, and we you just, only eat pancakes. Yeah, that's it. You know, I come in, I'm like, hey, is the game, how's the game look? It looks good. Okay, good. All right, I'm gone. Now, let's go 25 years later, I'm starting to come in and I'm just like, hey, man, we need to make some more money off your game. And I'm like, like Waffle Boy is already good. a huge hit. You know, you make these good, huge, huge, but hey, maybe we should add like maybe $10 extra for a safe slot. What do you think about that? Mm. What, what is your reaction going to be? Well, You're for the gamers. I'm from the business. There's going to be some type of fallout. Yeah, because Waffle Boy is my baby. But I do understand your point. And the point is that I'm a creator. I do not want some interference in the things to stop people from playing my piece of art that I created. Or just feeling overall like if you actually have a passion for video games, you're going to feel gross about it. And this is me being speculative here, but they took off uh, Kojima's name off from Metal Gear 5. Mm. And he he directed it. He left before the game was actually shipped. And they didn't put his name on the box. And Metal Gear 5 was the first Metal Gear game to have microtransactions. So kind of doing the math in my head and you know not saying this is was the silver bullet this was the one thing to do it all but all the other previous metal gear games didn't have them now obviously the microtransaction scene has kind of shot up over the last couple of years but it kind of makes me think hmm did were they pushing this gambling this different um it, this gambling centric mentality about making money um and maybe that's what caused the rift there like i i find it hard to believe that Death Stranding will have legitimate, like, microtransactions where you buy coins, like, pay DLC, set aside, maybe there's that, but I doubt there's going to be a point where you can be like, oh, let me buy five bucks worth of stuff so I can put a new set of gear on Norman Reedus. Like, I just don't see that happening. I doubt that Death Stranding's even going to have a coherent story, let alone <laughs> microtransactions. So. I don't know why you're so confused about that game with the baby in the throat. You know, we're like, I don't know. It's, not, it's like anything you've never seen before. So You mean, you mean the, the last baby alive, so that's why Norman Reedus has to hide it in his chest? Makes sense to me. It's science, right? I feel like we could do a spoiler, like we could do a prediction podcast just on what, like, coming up with the storyline for Death Stranding, because that thing, I feel like you can just come up with any idea or storyline in your head based on what we've seen so far. You don't even have to make a real sentence, just say random words, (laughs) you can't be that far (laughs) off. My question is, again, we say this every week and we need to get away from this, but it's a problem on Konami or it's a problem on the consumers? Both, I guess. I mean, you can't fault the Can you blame Konami, though? Because they've been making this business, they haven't been making money with their video games. They just weren't making money with video games anymore. 
They weren't the top studio like they used to be anymore. So they made a legitimately bis- they made a legitimate business decision to go into gambling and pachinko machines. It's still gaming. It's just a different type of gaming. Oh, I don't, I don't blame them for that. For that, I don't blame them for that at all. Like, if you want to diversify and start doing other things to fund whatever your company plan is, that's fine. I have a problem when you start to work those types of gaming mechanics into games that I've already paid for. That's my Why? issue. If I'm playing a slot machine, I know I'm playing a slot machine. I don't want to buy a hot dog and have my hot dog. I don't know why I can't get hot dogs out of my head whenever I talk about this. <laughs> I don't want to get a hot dog and then know that my hot dog is actually a slot machine. That was a perfect example. Don't dig into it too much. Okay. But my thing is, like, let's just say, like, Bally Technologies. Uh, I just Googled, like, the first, and I just said the first manufacturer of gambling slot machines. Let's say Bally Technologies wants to get into video games. You're not going to go buy a Bally Technologies video games for that reason, right? Hardcore gamers, I don't think casual gamers are buying Metal Gear Survive. I just don't think so. If they are, congratulations. I don't think anyone's buying Metal Gear Survive. I think a lot of hardcore gamers are going to be going after Metal Gear Survive. In my opinion, hardcore gamers should know what's going on with Konami. If you don't know what's going on with Konami, you've been living under a rock for the last five years because it's been everywhere. My blame is solely to these hardcore gamers that went after this game knowing that Konami was getting into the gambling revenue. Of course, they're going to incorporate the gambling aspects into their video game because that is their overall business strategy right now. So I just I don't think you can fault Konami for doing that. I think you got to fault these dummies who went in there and buying this game thinking that it was going to be anything different. Like you saw the writing on the wall with Metal Gear Solid Five. What do you think? Like, what do you what do you think? That's where I'm coming. From. Was this also going to? It's going to hurt your brand in the long run. This is a short run game. That's my problem. The long run game is is that if you keep putting these mechanics into games, then people will remember be like, oh, that's that title that has these stupid things that I hate in it. Why would I buy the sixth one? They still buy the sixth one, though. Do they, though? I mean, like, we don't know yet because we haven't gotten to that stage. I don't, I, I don't know. I see. I, I'm, I'll be interested to see what the next game is like, and I'm interested to see how did this game sell. Does anyone have any numbers on this? Uh, I, can, yeah, I have not heard on how, um, how it did, like, week one. Yeah, I don't think it, any information's out right now um yeah so i don't think any information's out right now but yeah i don't know i don't know how well it did i haven't heard anyone talk about it i haven't heard it really like it hasn't been burning up anything like the same way that kingdom come deliverance came out and you saw everyone really talking about it or the same way that monster hunter came out you saw everyone talking about it i haven't really seen anyone really talk about metagear survive so i'm gonna be interested to see how this shapes konami's market in the future because a lot of these gaming gatekeepers knew what was coming right they knew that Konami was getting into the gambling realm, and they knew that this game was probably going to be heavily influenced by those me- those gambling mechanics. So I think a lot of people knew what was coming, and I think that's why we haven't seen this game like blow up the charts or anything. So I don't know. Will people buy Metal Gear Solid 6? I don't know. I have no idea. It it depends on... People are dumb, Pat. We, we, talk, we talk about this all the time. People are dumb, and I think if it has a really good trailer and it's very violent... People are still going to buy it regardless. Maybe. Well, plus, I, 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 like, there's just something kind of slimy about this game, too, because they were not advertising this for the most part. It did, did not get the usual push of marketing it a, the Konami typically does, and especially from a AAA developer. So that's the one thing that's kind of weird to me, too. It almost seems like they're like, hey, we're going to slap on Metal Gear on this. And, and also, the Fox engine, that's what they basically built for Metal Gear 5. I think they just sunk so much money into that. Like, Konami's, like, execs are just like, hey, 
we're going to use this again, and you're going to make another game again because we need money. And one thing to th throw out as well is I know we're making it seem like Konami has not been making money. They've been making money. They just want to make more money. It's they haven't been making money off of games, though. See, that I, they're still there. They have their company as a whole makes money. It's just all about maximizing their, their profits for their shareholders. Like, yeah. that's what it comes down to. Absolutely. But I think they're making a bulk of their money from these gambling and pachinko machines. Because I think the Bombcast reported that as soon as they started incorporating pachinko machines into their Japan, those Japan parlors, their revenue exploded. And I think that's a reason why we haven't seen a lot of advertisement for this Metal Gear Survive because they're not making any money from games anymore. So I put money into an advertisement. I think they just pumped. I honestly believe this would be one of their last games. I don't think we'll see a lot of video games coming from Konami anymore because I think they're making so much money from Pachinko and gambling and slot machines that you're just going to focus all their effort on that. And I think the fact that we've seen so um, we've seen like no advertising from this game, there's been no like really media buzz around it. I think these are all like just warning signs that Konami may be get, leaving, leaving the video game industry. They're still going to be in the gaming industry, just not in the video game industry. That's fine. I mean, I don't have any issue with that. Like, I don't mind a company wanting to make more money for their shareholders. Why wouldn't they do that? If I was a shareholder, I would yeah. damn sure want that company to do that. The problem with me, the only problem I have is that if you start putting mechanics into a game that you don't tell people that you're putting in there. That's the issue that people have. I also think this is across the board, and this is why people are upset about loot boxes and all this crap. It's because you're not being straightforward. If you want to put that stuff in your game, then put it on the box of the game that I'm buying. Do not hide these things. Do not be ashamed of them. Do not be shady about it. If you're going to put it in there, then put it in there. I can't stop you from doing that. You're trying to squeeze more money out of it. I get it. But you cannot lie to a customer or try to hide things from them. Yeah, and there's going to be, like, I mean, I don't have statistics on this. I don't have actual numbers, but there's going to be large video game studios somehow, some way are going to lobby to make sure they don't have to put the percentage on loot box. Like, can you imagine if someone pulled open a game and, like, it, like the laws in China and they saw that the one piece of gear they want to get um, for the loot box that costs 3 to $5 to open up is actually 0.000002% chance of landing that? People aren't going to spend as much money on this stuff. Right. So they are going to fight tooth and nail to make sure they don't have to give that information away. Because once they do, then that means they're going to make less money. And then they're going to think about the next shady thing they can do to make more money to maximize their shareholder profits. This is what, That's what's bogus about it to me. That, that's what's lame. You cannot charge me something and then hide things in it to get, make me gamble. That's what I don't. I'm buying it from you. I'm already a consumer. I bought it from you. I own it. Yeah, and it's and it's easy now too to be like, hey, we're just doing industry practice. We're not being shady. We're not hiding. But it's every company's doing the same thing because they know they can make a lot of money. Right. And that's the thing that stinks because it's across the board for the most part on these large uh, studios and publishers. I would say publishers. I feel like it's kind of the publisher that wants to make some more money like this. But uh, yeah, it's it's gross and. As soon, but like I said, it's it's business, and as soon as a law is passed, they're going to figure out what's the next loot box that they can do. What's right. the next way to make more money? Which brings it back, even though I was pretty negative on indie, indie games in the beginning, that is one thing to call out, that the nice thing is you don't see as much grossness in indie games, and that's why indie games you are important to hold, to hold these AAA studios accountable. You don't see any. I mean, Little Nightmares, our wonderful little indie title that we talked about on our first episode. If you haven't listened to our first episode, go listen to our interview that we have with uh, um, Little Nightmares Studio. But 
they're, they're coming out with DLC like six months later and the DLC is like $10 and it looks like a whole new, like brand new story added to the game. So these indie game, these indie titles, we bash them a lot because, you know, they're so samesy, but they're not, you know, they're not nickeling and diming us and they're not putting out the same title every year and then nickel and then asking the nickel and dime us that way, like Call of Duties and the Battlefronts and the Battlefields and the Maddens. And the NBA 2Ks. I mean, it's, we have to put our, we have to applaud the indie titles for doing that. But then again, if they could do it, they probably would. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably. They probably would <laughs> if, they could, if they could figure out a way to do it. Like Stardew Valley, you can nickel and dime Stardew Valley for days, but he he just didn't do it. Concerned Ape just didn't do it. Um, why? Because he's concerned ape. That's why. Yeah, that's why he's a concerned ape. He's very concerned for his fans. Yeah. Thank you, concerned ape. We love you. <laughs> Thank you. Like him way more than Blase Ape, that jerk. Oh God, or Bougie Ape. Oh. <laughs> uh, you guys are dumb. Yeah, we have the stupidest podcast. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we talked a lot about indie games today, but I am going to ask both of you to put on your developer's hat and pitch me your indie game. Ooh. Oh, this is this is this is spicy. I like it. It's very spicy. Okay. It's like a hot hot dog. So going with my similar argument before, I wouldn't do anything out of the ordinary. I would want a very simple game so I can make a bunch of money to make my new game. So I would make, I love base builders. I'm a huge fan of base builders. I'm a huge fan of simulation, like city type simulation games. So I would like to see like a Minecraft type (laughs) game where you are, you play a, you're created player. You get to create a player. You get to choose what they look like. You get to choose their background, where they're from. And you, like, land on an island or you land on this remote planet and basically you have to build up a city from – build up a town, a city. There are different tribes around the area that you have to go out and recruit. You have to recruit them in different ways, maybe going out do, like, different type of fetch missions or maybe completing different types of areas, clearing out an area for them so that they can come and join your party. But basically you can set up, like, trade routes with them. You could ask for their members to come join you, but basically it's like a base building type game where it's also an RPG where you're building up skills, you are exploring the world, you are like, it's like a farmed type game too, where you're doing farm management like Stardew Valley, so something like that. Then you have to build along, you build some type of story where like, you're a colonizer and you're coming into this new world and are you a good guy or are you a bad guy? It's kind of, you can kind of make it both ways and... What's the title of your game? Don't think about it. Just go. Colonizer. Perfect. <laughs> is that is that like a derogatory? Are you are you calling me out on that? No, are you a colonizer. This is the thing. The game is you don't know because you can be on the good side of colonizer because you're going to this new world and you're making a better place for your own homeland, or you could be a bad colonizer where you're basically stripping away all these people for their resources. And you can play it both ways. You can go in and kill everyone. You can go in and work with everyone. It's so layered, man. Yeah, man. I got, I got ideas. Call me, Concerned Ape. You can do this. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, well, you I'll, I'll jump into mine. No first-person uh, shooter is calling. No first-person shooter. No, no first-person no, shooter. No, no FPS. Don't worry. Um, so for mine, um, also to box in, it's funny we were talking about, oh, yeah, we need to think of more creative ways. So my game will be like a Telltale game. Um, right off the bat, I can tell you that. And you're actually a young black athlete that had a very rough upbringing, and you are a um, a phenom when it comes to football. So you kind of go through your career in college, 
being a D1 athlete that technically isn't supposed to make money and is there for a quote-unquote education, and he has to kind of balance getting freebies from boosters, kind of has to balance also you know going to class, going to tutoring, being a college athlete. Then you go to your pros, and you have to balance um, you know family, uh, getting ad revenue. And, and the thing is, no football. You don't actually play any football in the game. And then at some point, you have a career-ending injury, and you have to pivot to post-football life. And my idea would be the game could end in a few different ways. Either you're successful and famous, one, you just live a normal life and have a family, or you can end up in bankruptcy, homeless, and just kind of seeing the plights of trying to juggle being a successful athlete and then having your craft be taken away after your body breaks down. Man, dude, that got dark. Yeah, damn. Yeah, but but like I said, you can play it right. You can uh, try to do right so you actually end in um, you know a very successful lifestyle. I think it's also to point out though, it's going to be really difficult to do that. So that would be the point of the game because so many athletes actually burn out and blow through their money. What's the title of your game, Colin? Uh, I'm sure this game, this name already exists, but on top of the head, we'll go make or break. Nice, uh-huh. love it, Colin. I got to say one thing: if you had a gaming studio, you'd probably be the only white guy at that gaming studio. You probably, probably wouldn't hire any white guys. That's the sad thing about but it. But he'd still be the boss, wouldn't he? Somebody's a racist, aren't you, Colin? Yeah, Colin hey, racist. Hey, hey, we all know I'd never be a boss. I'm not that smart. That's true. I want to work for you. That's for sure. Yeah, that's true. I wouldn't want to work for myself either. Right. I'd work for you, dude. Aw. Yeah. All right, Pat, your turn. All right, break out your wallets, investors, because I have a million-dollar idea right now. No Final Fantasy. Oh, I was just going to pitch a remake of Final Fantasy VII, but since that's already happening, or so I'm told, I'm going to do a game, and it's a little bit different than Diner Dash, which was a great game, but since I worked in restaurants for such a long time, this game, you are a waiter who is trying to be anything other than a waiter, like every single other waiter on the planet, and you have to deal with horrible customers all the time. And so instead of like Diner Dash where you're trying to get people their food as fast as possible, this game is about what you do to horrible customers' food. <laughs> And so you get to choose between, you know, either spitting in it, farting on it, a whole bunch of other horrible things you would do to somebody's food. And then it's sort of like a stealth game where you try and, like, sneak doing that. And if you get caught, then it turns into, like, Street Fighter and you go in the back alley and you have to fight the customer hand-to-hand. Ooh, this is a Steam game. If this was 10 bucks, I'd buy it. This is a Steam game. You need to call someone, like, right away. You can make this in a week and it'll be on Steam by tomorrow or by next week. That's Dad, a good I, game. I could also see some like big stereotypical fat like Italian guy, and I'm Italian by the way, but big fat Italian guy with the mustache, like that's the head chef, and you have to sneak around him too because he's like quality control. And he's like, oh, you can't get the post out to them that quick. That's the worst <laughs> Italian accent I've ever heard in my life. Like I said, I'm Italian, and it was the best Italian accent. Also, I love how when you say talk about a cultural group now, you have to say, hey, I'm part of I'm this part cultural of that group. group. I can talk about them. You should have just gone with John the Pasta Maker, and then you wouldn't have to worry about it. Oh, yeah. I didn't make up an Italian we... name. That's yep. why I didn't make up an Italian name. See, Eddie gets Luigi it. Luigi the Pasta Maker. <laughs> really quick. Quick yeah. question. Best indie game off the top of your head, go Pat. Oh, ever? Ever. Your favorite. Your favorite you've ever played. I don't even know how to answer that. Oh my god, that's hard. Um, oh, this is terrible. What's the the trials game with the motorcycle? Ooh, that's a good one. Though. Trials? Yeah, trials. I think trials it's just called trials. That's a good one, though. Yeah, I did not expect you to go with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, trials. Let's keep you on your game. toes. Yeah, released in 2014. Great game. Colin, what about yourself? You're yeah. such a Ubisoft stand, Pat. Oh my god, you love Ubisoft. They give me stuff. <sighs> you love Ubisoft. Oh, that's true. <laughs> 
All right, Colin, I cheated. I gave you some time to think. You're no, kidding. and I, I'm I'm really struggling picking a favorite, but the, the one of the biggest experiences that comes to mind that really stuck with me was Firewatch. Oh yeah, that was a good one too. That was a good. That game was like had, was on layers, on layers, and layers. Stop stalling, layers. Eddie. Give your own answer. Stardew Valley. Wow. All right. Yeah, Stardew Valley by far. Can't go against Stardew Valley. Pretty great game. Speaking of, we should get Concerned Ape on Concerned. 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 I want concert, Concerned Ape on the podcast. God, I can't even talk. It's because I have Donkey Kong artists on the mind because that's how brand loyal I am. Yeah. And that's why I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in this week and listening to our wonderful podcast. We love you very much. If you haven't already, you can find us online at Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. And we are now on YouTube. And we have our own website, DonkeyConArtist.com, where you can reach out and contact us if you'd like. We are doing giveaways. We are doing fun chats back and forth. We're your friend. We're your big internet friend. Um, also, if you want to trash us on our indie game talk today, please, please send us an email. I would love to have a follow-up conversation on some people uh, talking trash to me and Pat about uh, about our indie game talk today. So please reach out. Bring it and on. You can comment on our website, DonkeyConArtist.com. You can comment on our, you can tweet us. You can find us on Instagram now, DonkeyConArtist. We have an Instagram where we'll also post our podcast and look forward to more updates. We are forming a little team behind us will be able to maybe weekly update something like that. But our website should start jumping off pretty soon. So stay tuned and thank you all for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much, everyone, except for Kyle. Not a fan of you. All Kyles. Just, you know who you are, Kyle. <laughs> Every single Kyle out there. This is the No Kyles podcast. Oh, and pitch is your favorite indie game and the winner gets nothing. Yeah, we'll do a giveaway. We don't have our yeah. prizes. Pitch us your favorite indie game. I'll give you a prize. We have prizes? Yeah, I have prizes. Oh, we have prizes, Ooh, yeah. Woo. Pitch us your favorite indie game or pitch us an indie game original. We'll send you a prize. Right. And, thank and then you. we'll steal your idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I steal ideas. I'm just telling you that now. I'm a colonizer. Yeah. I will steal your idea. Win.